Samuel Taylor Coleridge was a close friend of William Wordsworth's and his collaborator on the Lyrical Ballads. You might recall from our discussion of the preface to the Lyrical Ballads and the two sorts of poems, The Supernatural Made Real, which represented Coleridge's contributions, and The Real Made to Seem Almost Supernatural, that is, Wordsworth's. Coleridge had planned a utopian community on the banks of the Susquehanna in Pennsylvania to be called the Pantasocracy. He had planned this with the poet Robert Southey, and although this idea never came to fruition, as a first step of the plan, Coleridge had somewhat impulsively married the sister of Robert Southey's fiancée, Sarah Fricker, a woman whom he really didn't love. Tragically, Coleridge was in love with another poet's sister-in-law, also named Sarah, Sarah Hutchinson, who was the sister of Wordsworth's wife. Coleridge dabbled with Unitarianism early in life, then settled into Christianity. He was perhaps the most Christian of the Romantics, at least in the Orthodox sense. Coleridge's reputation as a critic has equaled or even surpassed his reputation as a poet. He gave a series of great lectures on Shakespeare, Milton, poetry, drama, and philosophy, especially German philosophy and literature such as Kant, Goethe, and Schiller, whom he helped popularize in England. He articulated grand theories for the imagination, which he derived from Kant, I want to look at his poem, Dejection and Ode, which exemplifies many of his ideas of the imagination. But before we do that, let's take a look at an excerpt from Book 13 of his 1817 Biographia Literaria, where he discusses these theories of the imagination. Quote, The imagination, then, I consider either as primary or secondary. The primary imagination I hold to be the living power and prime agent of all human perception, and as a repetition in the finite mind of the eternal act of creation in the infinite I am. The secondary imagination I consider as an echo of the former, coexisting with the conscious will, yet still as identical with the primary in the kind of its agency, and differing only in degree and in the mode of its operation. It dissolves, diffuses, dissipates in order to recreate, or where this process is rendered impossible, yet still at all events it struggles to idealize and unify. It is essentially vital even as all objects as objects are essentially fixed and dead. Fancy, on the contrary, has no counters to play with but fixes fixities and definites. The fancy is indeed no other than a mode of memory emancipated from the order of time and space, while it is blended with and modified by that empirical phenomenon of the will which we express by the word choice. But equally with the ordinary memory, the fancy must receive all its materials ready-made from the law of association. End of quote. Let's unpack Coleridge's language here. 
Of the two types of imagination, the primary, Coleridge calls the prime agent of all human perception and the repetition in the finite mind of the eternal act of creation in the infinite I am, or in other words, God. Note that for Coleridge, our perception repeats nothing less than God's creation of the universe. The primary imagination mediates between sensation and perception. Coleridge considers the secondary imagination an echo of the primary imagination. This represents the creative power, the artistic imagination. It dissolves, diffuses, dissipates in order to recreate. Note, too, that this creative imagination for Coleridge struggles to idealize and to unify. This is the concept of organic unity. Coleridge was one of the early proponents of this theory, and there's a tragic irony here because some of Coleridge's most famous poems, such as Kublai Khan and Christabel, are unfinished fragments. The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, his most supernatural poem, does conclude, but in a paradoxically unresolved way. Coleridge's discussion of fancy invokes the concept of the mind being written on by external objects, as articulated by the philosophers John Locke and David Hartley. Let's turn now to Coleridge's Dejection and Ode. This poem was published in 1802 on Coleridge's wedding day and on the seventh anniversary of Coleridge's unhappy marriage to Sarah Fricker. By this time, Coleridge is addicted to laudanum, which is opium dissolved in alcohol. Dejection and Ode is a doubly tragic poem. It's a poem about an unobtainable love for Sarah Hutchinson but it is also a poem in which the speaker perceives a loss of his poetic powers or his poetic imagination. This is especially tragic for Coleridge because, as we saw when we looked at the Biographia Literaria excerpt, he saw the imagination as such an important force. He begins the poem with an epigraph from an old ballad Sir Patrick spends, a ballad about a shipwreck, which is an ominous portent. We're going to look at some portions of this poem. Coleridge wrote the poem with Sarah Hutchinson in mind, but in the version originally published, he addresses it to Edmund, and in a later version to a lady. The poem is in eight parts. In part three, Coleridge writes, My genial spirits fail, and what can these avail? to lift the smothering weight from off my breast. Here we see the note of falling spirits and dejection from which the poem takes its title. The fourth and fifth parts are particularly important when we consider Coleridge's theories of the imagination. Part four. O lady, we receive but what we give, and in our life alone does nature live. Ours is her wedding garment, ours her shroud, and would we aught behold of higher worth than that inanimate cold world allowed to the poor, loveless, ever-anxious crowd? 
ah, from the soul itself must issue forth a light, a glory, a fair luminous cloud enveloping the earth. And from the soul itself must there be sent a sweet and potent voice of its own birth, of all sweet sounds, the life and element. And continuing in part five, O pure of heart, thou needst not ask of me what this strong music in the soul may be, what and wherein it doth exist, this light, this glory, this fair luminous mist, this beautiful and beauty-making power. Joy, virtuous lady, joy that ne'er was given save to the pure and in their purest hour, life and life's effluence, cloud at once and shower. Joy, lady, is the spirit and the power, which wedding nature to us gives in dower, a new earth and new heaven, undreamt of by the sensual and the proud. Joy is the sweet voice, joy the luminous cloud. We in ourselves rejoice. And thence flows all that charms or ear or sight, all melodies the echoes of that voice, all colors a suffusion from that light. End quote. Note that in these two parts of the poem, the speaker of the poem conceives of imagination as something that infuses beauty in the world. He refers in line 54 to a light, a glory, a fair, luminous cloud enveloping the earth. And then a few lines later in part 5, around line 62, this light, this glory, this fair, luminous mist, this beautiful and beauty-making power. This is the active power of the imagination that, for Coleridge, animates the cold world. In part six, in the second half of that part, he complains, Oh, but oh, each visitation suspends what nature gave me at my birth, my shaping spirit of imagination. So here is where he is lamenting the loss of his power of, of the imagination that he had been given at his birth. In the seventh part, he begins, Hence, viper thoughts that coil around my mind, reality's dark dream. I turn from you and listen to the wind, which long has raved unnoticed. What a scream of agony by torture lengthened out that lute sent forth. End quote. Look at the contrast here. The speaker is contrasting reality with the imagination, seeing imagination as a fair, luminous mist and a beautiful and beauty making power, but in sharp contrast to viper thoughts that coil around my mind, reality's dark dream. Finally, in the eighth and final part, Coleridge concludes with a blessing that is at once beautiful and painful. Tis midnight, but small thoughts have I of sleep. Full seldom may my friend such vigils keep. Visit her, gentle sleep, with wings of healing, and may this storm be but a mountain birth. May all the stars hang bright above her dwelling, silent as though they watched the sleeping earth. With light heart may she rise, gay fancy, cheerful eyes. Joy lift her spirit, joy attune her voice. To her may all things live from pole to pole. 
their life the eddying of her living soul. O simple spirit, guided from above, dear lady, friend devoutest of my choice, thus mayest thou ever, evermore rejoice. End of quote. Samuel Taylor Coleridge, Dejection and Ode.